The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Revival. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 4, and Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 32. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you, who acts for those who wait for him. From the book of Ephesians. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Father, for the last eight weeks, we've been begging you to move, and I echo it again this morning. Would you come and would you move? Would you speak to us through your word? Would you think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords that I am a man with many faults? I'm a man with sin in my own life. I'm a man who, um, Father, struggles every day to live this life like everybody else in this room. And so I am not competent or uh, I just can't, I can't deliver the word that you've called me to deliver this morning without your Holy Spirit. And so I asked the Holy Spirit would speak through me. Um, Open up our eyes to see what's in the text. Open up our ears to hear what you would have for us. um, And bring new life uh, where things are dead. I pray that you would do this for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, For the past eight weeks, we've been praying and preaching about revival. And revival, it is a season where God moves in a significant way, where he comes down 
and individuals are awakened to God and churches are revitalized and the culture is impacted in a positive way. And there's been a lot of, history, a lot of uh, revivals throughout history um, and we're praying for God to do another one now in our day and age. Um, and for the next two weeks, today and next week at Easter, uh, we're going to study this passage of scripture. It's Ephesians 4, chapter, 17, or chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. Open up your Bibles there. We're going to, listen, this is going to be, this is going to be deep this morning. I'm just going to tell you that, okay? This is going to be deep. We're going to get out into deep waters. We're going to drill down into this. You're going to need your Bible in front of you. You don't have this passage memorized, okay? You've maybe never heard it preached before, and it is one of the key passages in all of scriptures to understanding how to change and how to live out this new life in Christ. This is not your typical Easter text, but I think if you open your mind and you engage your heart, God's going to meet us here the next two weeks. Now listen, as your pastor, I want revival for you. I want you to experience God and come to know him in a personal way. That, listen, that radically reorients you, that radically challenges and changes and improves you as a person. And that's one of the most beautiful aspects of revival is in revival, human beings actually change. Now, I'm pushing against a lot of cynicism today. There's a lot in our culture that teaches us that people don't change. And I'll just tell you, if you live your life like people don't change, you're probably cold, you're probably abrasive, and you're, you've built up a lot of walls around your life so people don't hurt you because you don't want to expect a lot of people. You want to be expecting things for people. So you just say, nobody changes. And you kind of have this cynical view of the world. Well, that view is not Christianity. That view is not in line with the truths of scripture. And I'm going to be challenging that this morning. But as I begin to talk about change and being new, this is also one of the most common misconceptions about Christianity that can actually thwart real revival. See, Christianity isn't primarily about becoming a nice person. It's about becoming a new person. And those two things might sound similar, but they aren't at all. In revival, People don't just get improved a little bit. They add some niceness to their personality, but they get made new from the inside out. And when you study history, you begin to see that many churches, they lose this distinction. And when they do, when they lose the distinction that Christianity is about becoming new and not about becoming nice, when they lose that distinction... They lose their core message and the downward slide into fruitlessness begins. I have an 81-year-old friend in my neighborhood who was born in Switzerland right before World War II. And he stopped by my house last week and we talked for an hour or so on my front porch. Um, in Switzerland, during his childhood, 
Um, the church was what's called a state church. It was a state-sponsored church. You basically had the Catholic church and the Protestant church, and you had two choices, and it was funded, the, the, the state funded the church. So your tax dollars went to promote the, uh, to pay the clergy and to pay for the church and all these things. And now why would the state do that? Well, the state does that because the core meaning and the core purpose of the church is to create good moral upstanding citizens, okay? So the, the state has a vested interest in its citizens having a good morality, and so the state sponsors religion, and the, the state and the church becomes a part of the state. Now, here's, the, here's what's interesting. If your core message becomes how to make people nice, moral, upstanding citizens, you realize you don't really need a church to do that. You can do that in other ways. Do you really have to go to church to learn how to be nice? Absolutely not. Mr. Rogers does a fine job of that. <laughs> and so here's what happens. When the church starts making their core message about how to be nice, people stop going to church. They don't need to go to church to hear that. They can get that other, way, other places. And now the, the, some of the latest studies show that just 4% of the Swiss attend church at all. Now, this trend isn't just in Switzerland. This trend is, is a, really a Western phenomenon. And it seems to be happening now in our country as well. Less and less people are counting, are counting themselves Christians and committing themselves to a church. So my friend, as we're talking and discussing this history, and I'm getting a history lesson from World War II Switz, it was really fascinating. Um, he asks me, and he kind of blew my mind. He goes, so I was on your website. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, that's kind of concerning when your neighbor says that to you, right? Like, I've basically been investigating you, right? I've been seeing what you guys are all about. And he asked me, why are so many young people coming to your church when all the statistics say they are leaving most? And I don't know what he was expecting. You know, I think he was probably expecting some kind of strategy, right? Some kind of marketing ploy that we've got. And I said, well, it's not our coffee, though it's good. It's not our parking. We don't have enough. It's not our greeters. We don't have those either. It's not a new approach of doing ministry. We follow principles laid out in the New Testament for, for the New Testament church. I told him very simply, most churches have substituted the core message of the gospel for something else. We preach the gospel, and the gospel is the good news that God can be known through the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and by knowing God, you can actually come to know yourself in a totally new way. You can really change. It's not just about being nice, it's about being totally new. And most people in our culture have bought into this idea that we need to go out and find ourselves by creating some identity or we go into ourselves and find out who we really are somewhere deep down inside us there's the real us that needs let loose 
But what scripture teaches is if you want to find your true self, you don't find your true self by seeking it. You find your true self by seeking God. In God is your true self. And Christianity gives you a roadmap to find that true self. So this co the core of Christianity is receiving this whole new life from Jesus. It's not a moral uplift. It's not an improvement. It's a completely new transfer of identity. Now I want to ask you, would you like to be made new? Would you like to find this true self and live out of your true self and not live for the approval of others? Not live for the next technology, next piece of technology you can get to feel good about yourself. See, the Apostle Paul is going to teach us how to do that this morning. And I don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to have to skip this whole intro that I just had. I'm just going to skip the whole thing. I'll tell you this. I've preached verse by verse to the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. You should go back and you should read it. But here's the interesting structure to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul to missional communities spread across Ephesus. So it was kind of a circular letter that went from missional community to missional community to missional community. And what's fascinating, and this is, you have to understand this. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul, there's nothing for people to do. Paul takes us up into the galactic regions of the universe and he shows us Christianity is not about becoming nice. It's not, enough, it's not about going to heaven when you die. That's not what it's about. Christianity is the, the reality that the Son of God came into humanity and came into our universe to completely restore all of it. I mean, outer space included. That there's a galactic intergalactic, let's even say, aspect to the gospel that Jesus Christ is renewing everything right now and he can even renew us, okay? So the first three chapters of Ephesians is all, look what God has done in Christ. Look what Jesus has done. And it's just to get our eyes off of ourselves and get it up and look at the glory of God. But then what's interesting, so that shows us the gospel is good news of what God has done and not something you have to do. There's a big difference there. But in the last three chapters of the book, Paul turns a corner and he makes a transition and he begins teaching them because God has done this, this is now how you live your life. What God has done should influence your life in this way. It should impact your life in this way. And so our text this morning is right in the middle of that transition. He's going from what God has done in Christ to now this is how it should affect your life. This is the transition here. So let's look at verse 17. Open up your Bibles. Get, get, get there. Don't trust me. I might be a liar. I'm dead serious. I, I'm so tired of people. Well, I, I get, I get a, I'm about to go off on something right there. <clears throat> Verse 17, we need to be in our text this morning. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now this term walk, okay, he's not literally talking about a swagger or a style of walking, right? He's talking about an entire way of being, an entire way of thinking, an entire way of life. 
Paul is speaking to Gentiles and he's saying, you're a Gentile, but now you don't walk like Gentiles anymore. Your way of life is different. Let me look at you and say, you're an American, right? Paul would be speaking to us and he says, you're an American, but you no longer walk like Americans walk. Your life, something has happened in you that should change the way you perceive life and the way you live out your life. You should be different from those from your neighbors who don't know Christ. And look what he's going to do. He's going to get down into this. See, Paul is a good pastor. And I want you to see what he's doing here. He's writing to Gentiles and he's telling them that their current culture is trying to take them down a path that they cannot go. Now, this is the hardest thing for me to describe to you, okay? It's been said, you never ask a fish how the water is. Because they would be like, What's water, right? They have no concept. Guys, listen, this is the way culture is. You don't know how it's influencing you. You don't know how it's impacting you. You don't know how it's changing the way and determining the way you think when you're in the midst of it. People always look back at the Holocaust and they look, how could all these Germans, just normal, good people work in these you know, concentration camps and turn a blind eye to millions, six million Jews and gypsies and all these different people getting killed. How could any human being do it? Well, it's really easy, actually. You don't even realize what's going on necessarily until you're already too far gone. That culture just influences us in small incremental ways that we're not even aware of. And look how Paul, look how Paul describes it. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Look, in the futility of their minds. In the futility of their minds. Now that word, this is what he's, this is what he's saying. If you do not know Jesus Christ, you have, your thinking, your life is futile. Now that's offensive. I admit that. And I want you to understand what he's trying to say. What Paul is not saying that, uh, you know, people are outside of Christ are stupid. That's, that's, no, no, you can be brilliant and still be, have a futile life, have a futile existence. What it means is it's pointless. It's to be a waste. It means their lives are on a purposeless trajectory. Now, you know what else it means? It means that you might be wanting a life of meaning and substance and purpose and transcendence and happiness, but the way you're living your life will never produce this. So your way of life is futile. Do you understand that? Now, if you're not a Christian, I understand how that's offensive. Paul's basically saying, don't follow people who don't know Christ because their life is pointless. Now that, I get it, that's offensive. But if we really kind of pull it back out of it and look at it objectively, this is, isn't this the same thing that most scientists are arguing today? That the earth had a definite beginning and it will have a definite end? Well, what then? If this world and everything done on it will end and will go into oblivion and will return to dust and will be meaningless... How could our lives have any ultimate meaning? 
This is why the Bible teaches that your life can only have ultimate meaning in relationship to God because he is eternal. He is ever existing. He will never have an end. He didn't have a beginning. He won't have an end. So your life can have purpose and meaning when it connects with his. And Paul says this, look, look, at, look at this verse. This blows my mind. We're gonna get into all this, but look at verse 18. They're darkened in their understanding. Look at this alienated from the life of God. Alienated from the life of God. The phrase Paul uses there in verse 18, that, that word life, this is, this is the verse that I named my daughter after. That word life is zoe in the Greek. And I actually defined it, there we go. Zoe up here. Listen, the inherent capacity for producing and maintaining living beings especially understood as a life characterized by healthiness, happiness, exuberance, energy, vitality, and the like. God, God has this life. He has, he is the source of Zoe life. He is the source of all life. And so we cannot have life apart from him. We have to be connected to him in order to get life. And his life is eternal. And so our hope and our purpose and our meaning can be eternal, even after the world is gone. Now, what I want you to see is this worldview, this way of seeing things is distinctively Christian. That God infuses all of our life, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're American or Kenyan, he infuses all of our life with purpose and meaning. But if you don't know God, None of your life will have ultimate meaning. And listen, everything will be taken from you. Now you might say, no, I find my meaning in my children. Your children will be taken from you. You're going to die. I find my value in my work. Your work will be taken from you. You're going to die. I find my meaning... In relationships, those relationships will fail you and you are going to die and they are going to die. What then? See, this is what Paul's saying. When you're alienated from the life of God, your life becomes futile. Think about it like this. What happens when people are alienated from the sun? They get depressed. Their physical health begins to break down. That human beings were meant to be in the sun and it's very depressing and very dark and it's not good for us to live away from the sun. Their life begins to move slowly and progressively into an, a way that is not conducive for a vibrant life. The same is true for those who are alienated from God. Your life is being lived in a way that is not conducive to a vibrant life. So Paul was actually way ahead of his time. Science is confirming this. Evolutionary psychologists are confirming this. Paul was way ahead of his time when he says, most people don't know God and therefore their life is headed in a pointless direction. Don't follow them. Now I want you to hear this. When the herd is going one way, we, there's a thing called herd mentality, group think. When everybody's walking this way, 
protesting something. I don't even know what they're protesting, but I'm going with them. And when everybody's living their life this way, we just get sucked into it and we start walking it and we think it's normal. It's normal to be gone five nights a week. It's normal to have our cell phone glued to our face all the time. It's normal to watch nine hours of Netflix a week. It's normal to not have any deep relationships. It's normal to feel really weird and afraid when I get alone by myself. It's normal to be so alone with my own self that when I stop at a stoplight for the eight seconds it's going to be read, I pick up my phone and look at it. I can't stand being alone. It's, that's not normal. It's never been normal in, hu- in human history. And we've bought into this idea of new normal and we're going in a way that's not conducive to real life. And we've been separated from the life of God. Zoe, meaningful, vibrant, exuberant life that's found in God. And what Paul says about people in our culture who don't know Christ and have bought in, and he's speaking to Gentiles who've been converted. And he's like, your way of life is in the stream. And this is, what he, this is the three things he says. Look, look, look at verse, it's the futile, futile way, but look at 18. They're darkened in their understanding. Guess what that means? They don't even know what they're doing. Darkened in their understanding. You're just bumping around in the dark, doing what you think feels right. What's the next thing he says? They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. Zoe is Life of God, because of the ignorance that is in there. What does ignorant mean? Now, we don't like, you're ignorant. People don't like you. You don't say that very often anymore. But that's actually, that's not stupid, right? Ignorant means you don't know what you don't know. And there's a lot of things that we don't know what we don't know, right? And that's a dangerous place to be when you don't know what you don't know, right? So, People who are alienated from the life of God, they're darkened, they don't know what they're doing, they're ignorant, they, they don't know what they don't know. And look at verse 19. Oh no, keep going. Due to their hardness of heart. Remember what I talked about being cynical? Nobody changes. Nobody's taking advantage of me. I'm never gonna open up myself to anybody. You can't have true friends, they're just gonna take advantage of you, they're just gonna hurt you. So we isolate ourselves in our little castles and we surround ourselves and we look at our 401k and we look at our insurance policies and we look at all these things and we say, we're safe here. Nobody can get to us. And what happens? Our, heart, our hearts begin to harden. And guess what? Nobody walks around. Very few people walk around going, my heart's really hard. You don't know it. It just is. You don't have compassion for other human beings. Everybody out there is an idiot. And if they just thought like you and read the websites that you read and watched the YouTube videos that you watch, they'd all get it. But they're idiots. See, that's the confession of a hard heart. What's in the heart, the mouth speaks. Everybody else out there is an idiot. That's a sign of a hard heart. And this, and then look, they have become callous. Callous, without shame. They don't, get, they don't feel bad for what they're doing. They're not ashamed of what they're doing. Now listen, calluses are good for the hands. All right, you swing a hammer every day, you develop calluses, and that's good. It doesn't hurt anymore to swing that hammer all day or dig a ditch all day. You got hard hands, right? It's bad 
My wife hates it. <laughs> Touches like, ah, what is on your hands? I'm like, man, that's what's on my hands. <laughs> Does that offend you? Does that bother you? Right? But callousness is good on the hands. It's good on the feet. If you're walking barefoot around, you get calluses. It's bad on the heart and it's bad on the mind. And people look at, you know, the Enron scandal and the banking crisis and genocide that's going around the world and abortion statistics in our society. And we want, how do people do this? They get calloused. Calloused minds, calloused hearts, unfeeling. They, they can't sympathize. They can't be empathetic. And so Paul's saying, when you're living in a culture, there's a danger that your heart gets calloused and your mind gets calloused and you start living the way that the culture does. And now what's right sexually, well, what's the culture doing? Well, everybody lives together before they get married. That's a calloused heart. That's a darkened understanding. We don't take our sexual cues from the culture, we take them from the word of God, God himself, life itself. Do we want a meaningful life? Do we want a Zoe life? Then we got to get it from Zoe, the life of God. We can't get it from our culture. So these Christians now here have jumped into the stream and they're flowing with the current of the culture and they've become callous again and their minds are darkened again, and they're living just like the Gentiles do again. And Paul speaks to them, and he says, no, you're a Gentile, but something has happened to you, and you can't live like that anymore. And so for me this morning, I've seen you're an American. We enjoy a lot of our freedom, but something has happened to you, and you can't live like that anymore. You're not going to have the life you want. You're not going to have a meaningful life if that's how you're living. And so he's going to get down into some really good stuff. Now, listen, I, I get it. So let me, let's keep reading. They become callous and they have given themselves up. See, this is what happens. When we're in the stream and we're just going with the flow and we've become callous, we just live our life like everybody else. A life of what? Sensuality. Back then, everybody went to the temple prostitutes. Just what you did. I can, everybody was religious back then. They just worshiped through sex, worshiped through idolatry. And, and, I, can't I be a Christian and worship sex and live out this, sec, this, you know, free sexual existence that I want? But greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This is like an addiction. Like, I just want more of it. I want more of it. But, look at this. That is not the way you learned Christ. Now, it's interesting because Paul paints a pretty bleak picture of life outside of Christ. You're darkened in your understanding. Your, your futile thinking is controlling you. You're ignorant. You have a hard heart. You have calloused behavior. It sounds a lot like the cultural moment we find ourselves in. Over 2,000 years ago, and I don't think we've improved much. Now, what's cool is these people cool, maybe a glib word. These people are in need of revival. And we are in need of revival. And, and, and what Paul is going to show them is how to get out of the herd. 
how to get out of the herd mentality that's forcing you into being a certain type of person that is not flourishing as a human being. They're going headlong towards a way that's not good for them for a futile existence. Here's how you get out of the herd. And so that we're going to see how do we remove ourselves from the current that is pulling us toward a life that looks like everyone else. We're going to see that in our text this morning. And here's Paul's answer. You need three things. One, you need a new identity. Two, you need a renewed imagination. And three, you need a new community to live this out and practice this new way of life. So you got a new identity, a renewed imagination, and a new community to practice it. We're going to look at the first two, and we're going to save the last one for next week. First, everyone needs a new identity. Look at verse 20. We just read it. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Learned, isn't that an interesting phrase? This is a unique phrase in all of antiquity. Listen, nowhere in all the Greek poets, nowhere in any ancient manuscripts does anyone ever say, learned a person. You learn patience. You learn virtues, you learn humility. But Paul's saying, listen, if you want to change, if you want to really know who you are and your true self, you don't learn some things, you learn a person. You need to learn Christ. Now, how do you learn a person? See, Christianity is not about adding some things to your life and learning how to be nice. It's learning how to be new, learning how to be like Christ. It's learning about Jesus. It's meeting him, the son of God, and letting him change us into who we are meant to be. I want you to look at this quote from C.S. Lewis, from Mere Christianity. The real son of God is at your side. He is beginning to turn you into the same kind of things as himself. Whoa. He is beginning, so to speak, to inject his kind of life and thought. Look, his Zoe. I had this whole sermon planned and I found this quote this morning. It's oh. his Zoe into you beginning to turn the tin soldier into a live man or woman. The part of you that does not like it is the part that is still tin. Listen from Colossians 3, verses 3, how Paul describes it there. He says this, and I think, I've, yes. For you have died. Everybody's like, uh, right here. You don't understand what he's talking. He's, he's seeing in the Zoe. He's seeing in kind of the spiritual world. He's saying, when you put your faith in Christ, it is nothing less than a death and resurrection. The old you is dead and the new you is come forth. Look, for you have died and look, your life is hidden with Christ in God. See, your true life is not found out there in your career, guys. Ladies, 
There's this popular notion in our culture today that we are, you know, I'm not a stay-at-home mom and that's not my identity anymore. And what has happened for so many women is they've taken this female, you know, this female identity of finding your identity at home with the kids and they haven't replaced it with finding my identity in Christ. They've replaced it with a male's version. Now I'm going to be like the men and find my identity through my work. How foolish. What's the difference? Right? You've got disobedient children over here that drive you crazy. You've got disobedient employees over here that drive you crazy. Both identities are false and faulty. You'll never find your true self out there. Your true self is found in Christ, in God. Do you know how to get into that? Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know this new, has this new thing happened to you? Learning Christ is literally, it's a personal moment in a person's life. And it goes on, but, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a moment in time where I say, I reject the identity that I've had, and now I'm fi- I want to find this new identity that God has for me in Christ. It's nothing less than a death and resurrection. It's nothing less than Jesus said, a new birth. It's a putting away, Paul says here, of our old life and putting on a totally new life. Paul uses a verbiage that's very familiar to, to them in that day, putting off and putting on just like you'd put on a clothes, put on clothes. He says, you got to take off your old life and you got to put on your new life. And this is what, well, let's just, let's just keep reading. Assuming, so this is not the way you've learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now listen, many of you, that, that's a big assumption. Many of us have went through our church life or we've grown up in church and the core message that we heard was be nice, be good, be moral. And that is not the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is you can be new in Christ. This is what makes Christianity totally unique among all the world religions. And it's also what makes it so much better than any form of spirituality or secularism that's out there in the world today. Christianity, listen, is about being something before it's about doing anything. It's about receiving a new identity by grace and not about building a new identity through effort. No matter how hard you work, no matter how moral you become, you will never possess true righteousness and true holiness in yourself because those are attributes of God. Now look at this, verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. What does that mean? That means this, everything in your life, this, nobody likes this. Everything in our life is corrupted by evil desires. That means you might be saying you're baking that cake for the neighbor because you want to show her the love of Christ, but in reality, you might be baking the cake for the neighbor because you want her to like you. Our desires are corrupt. Pride influences everything that we do. Selfishness influences everything we do. But, Paul's saying, there's a new self. 
Look, it's corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Look, and to put on the new self. Here's the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Whoa. You can never be righteous and holy on your own because of our deceitful desires are always underneath why we do things. But in Christianity, you can receive holiness and righteousness. It's like this. It's as if God places an acorn in our souls. And in that acorn, when we believe in Jesus Christ and put our faith in Christ, God puts this acorn in our souls and in that acorn is true righteousness and holiness and inside that acorn is everything that is needed for us to grow up into an oak tree. An oak tree that possesses righteousness and holiness and goodness in and of itself. And our true self, so this acorn self is made in the likeness of God. This, you can spend a lifetime, and I beg you to do it, a lifetime discovering this true self, who you are in Christ, this acorn self that Christ puts in you. Now, there's one thing I need to nerd out on for a minute. This command, people get this so wrong. This command to put off your old self and to put on your new self is in the Greek aorist tense, okay? We don't have anything like that in our language, but it's important for us to know and understand. Listen, this aorist tense that's in the Greek, it denotes a past finished work. It's something that has already been done in the past, and it's not something you do over and over again. People, I've heard people say, well, you got to put on this new self every time you wake up. No, 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 no. This is a one-time decision. This is something that has definitively happened in history in the past. Paul is saying, do you remember when you put off your old self and put on your new self? It happens once when you believe Christ and you put your trust in him. For me, I think it was when I was 17 years old. I'd heard about Christ, I went to church camp, but then all of a sudden I realized that the identity that I was trying to build my life around was a false identity that was leading me into futility and I realized the worth and the value of Christ and I said, I think I have, I think there's something different here. I'm going to transfer my trust from this old identity and put it on Christ himself. It was a decisive moment in my life. Paul is saying to these believers here who are being caught up in the current of their culture and pulled away from Christ, listen, remember who you are. Remember what has already happened in you. You are a new person. You have been given a new identity that has been made in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is who you really are. That means the core message of Christianity is not try harder, be nice. Rather, it's receive this new self and be who you are. Receive this new self and be who you are. 
I meet many people that when I'm sharing my faith with them and I ask them if they're a Christian and those who don't understand the core message of the gospel, I've heard this so many times, are you a Christian? I'm trying. I say, no, 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 no. You gotta go back to Yoda here, right? There is no try, right? Yoda, do or do not, there is no try, but in Christianity, there is no try, it's only trust. Has Christ changed you? Have you put your faith in him? Have you received a new identity? If you've received a new identity that can never be taken from you, you can never fall away, you can never be cut off and, 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 and pushed away. This new identity is yours forever. It's the new self that you've been given in true righteousness and holiness. Now I'm gonna ask you this morning, you can grow up in church, you can hear the message a hundred times, but have you put off your old self and put on your new self? Have you transferred your trust away from yourself and onto Jesus Christ? We no longer look for our kids to save us from a meaningless life or our career or our financial success. We put our faith in Jesus. Now listen, St. Augustine, St. Augustine, you put a saint in front of a guy's name and everybody thinks I can't relate to that guy, but you can. St. Augustine was a sex addict up until his 30s. He grew up in the church, but he pushed away from it. And he found Christ in a garden one day and he was converted and he put off his old self and he put on his new self and he began to walk with Christ and his life began to take on a completely different direction. And one day, one of his mistresses, he was in another city, and anytime he would travel, he was, a, he was an intellectual guy, anytime he would travel, he would sleep around. That's what he did. And one of his old mistresses walks up to him, and, and she, well, she waves at him in the street, and he politely waves and keeps moving on, and she's never gotten this response from him before. Like, you know, Augustine was always into her. And so he, she says, Augustine, it, it is I. And he says, I know it is, but it is not I. And he's saying, I am not the man I used to be. I am new. I'm not just a better version. I'm new. I'm a new creation in Christ. So listen, when you transfer your trust away from yourself, that Everybody worships something. I could look at your life and probably your bank account and tell you exactly what you worship, okay? Or your schedule. When, it's where your time, it's where your talent, where your passion, where your imagination goes. When you take your faith from that and say, I'm not gonna look to this for my meaning anymore. I'm going to look to Christ for my meaning. When you do that, listen, God, I love this. This is not very... It's not a very powerful illustration yet. God takes this acorn and puts it in you. And you're like, wow, an acorn. Great, thanks for that. <laughs> All right, that's really what I needed, right? But listen, this acorn is your new self. It's, your, it's made in the image and the likeness of God, and he drops it into your soul all by his grace. But now this little acorn, it needs to grow. And it needs to mature. And it needs to change. And this requires, so the first part, all grace. We do nothing. 
When this acorn gets dropped in us, now we are in, we've got to be fully engaged. We've got to be intellectually engaged and thinking about it. We've got our hearts got to be engaged and loving and pursuing Christ. Our whole self, our will's got to be engaged. And what's going to happen is this acorn begins to grow up and begins to mature. And this, be, this requires some work on our part. Look at verse 23. He says, so we're putting off our old self, putting on our new self. And look what he puts in the middle there, Paul. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. I remember making fun of somebody who prayed this one time. I was like, she, this person prayed, help us renew or something about in the spirit of our minds. And I was like a newer Christian. I'm like, spirit of your minds? What the heck is that? That's not in the Bible. And the next week I read that, I was like, oh, she was right. The spirit, it's a very weird phrase. It's a very different phrase. And I told you, listen, this is where I, 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 my nerd has got to come out. 22 and 24 are in this aorist tense, past tense. You put off, you put on once. But to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, this is in the present infinitive in the Greek. That means... What does that mean? It's something that is happening now and it's continual. So you put off and you put on once and you're, you're renewed in the spirit of your mind every single second of the day. The acorn is dropped in you once and now that acorn begins to grow every second of every day. Now, if you sit there and watch an acorn grow, right, it's not gonna be very impressive. We're far more impressed with other types of growth, right? You build a house, thing goes up quick. Wow, look at the movement. You watch an oak tree. Not much happens. Now, this shows us, Paul is showing us here. Go to Colossians 3, 9 through 10. Do we have that up there? I'm, I'm closing. No, I'm not. <clears throat> I had to repent. I lied to you right there. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have, look, put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, look, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. See, this present infinitive, this thing, it's always happening. If you've put on, if you put your faith in Christ, you are being changed. But we need to think about this for a second. Paul's telling these people in Ephesus and in Colossians, though they have been given new identities in Christ, the work of personal change and personal renewal is still meant to be a daily renewal in the spirit of your minds. Now that spirit of your minds is a weird phrase. It's tough. It's not just logic. It's not just rationality. It's not taking every cap thoughtive or every thought captive taking every thought captive and out with the bad thoughts and in with the new thoughts. It's not that. It's more than that. Paul is talking about our imaginations being captured by Christ. And I have to say, this is not something that you do. You can't go out there and just do this and Make yourself think about it. It's something that kind of, you have to put yourself in the situation, but it's something that kind of happens to you. One of the ways you can do this is, okay, this is how you learn Christ. You're in his presence. 
and you're allowing Jesus to change the way you see the world and change the way you see yourself and change the way you feel and change the way you think and capture your imagination. One of the ways you can do this is by finding a scene in the Gospels and reading over it over and over and asking yourself, who is Jesus? How does he behave? How does that make me feel? What has Jesus done for me? And I'm meditating on it, I'm thinking on it, I'm letting Christ capture my imagination. As, as my imagination gets captured, it begins to change my daily life. I begin to grow up into maturity. I begin to grow up more and more like Christ. And this, this is what it is. As we meditate on Jesus, we become like what we behold in our imagination. That's why if your imagination is captured by your sports team, that, you become like that thing right? Whatever your imagination is captured by, you become like what you behold in your imagination. But who we are in Christ is our new self, our authentic self. And so we need to learn how to meditate on that and bring that into our imagination and let Christ change us. Now, let me give you one really quick personal example. I was um, having a difficult season in my life and my identity had been so influenced um, by my upbringing and by my uh, involvement in wrestling and sports and this desire that was in me to conquer and to win and to kind of dominate. And it, it infected everything in my life. And I had a friend who, a couple friends actually, and pastors who, who were just kind of labeled it. Many of you have heard this before. They labeled it the wrestler. Like that's just that identity. That's just who you are, just the wrestler. And they, they asked me one time, they said, do you know who you really are away from the wrestler? And I said, no, I, I really don't. Everything about me is shaped by this identity. When I walk into a room, I walk into that room as a wrestler who's looking for weaknesses and look, looking for ways to win and looking for ways to dominate. And when I approach a situation or a problem, that's how I want to, you know, take advantage of a weakness and, and, and win. That's what I want to do. I don't understand any other way to live my life. And they said, why don't you take that to Jesus? I was like, what do you mean? And now this is not apply a Bible verse to it. They're wanting my imagination to get involved. And so they told me, take it to the cross. I'm like, really? Like, literally? Like, yeah. Like, okay. So I closed my eyes and I pictured Jesus on the cross, right? I have a pretty good imagination. I've read the passions a lot, passion of the passion, uh, uh, experience in the gospels a lot, right? So I kind of picture Jesus and he's broken and he's bloody. And, and I walk up to the cross and I say, First thing I did was I walk up there and I shocked my own imagination. It's very strange. I walked up there and I went, oh, like this, to Jesus. And I was like, it's like, who, boy, you better stop that. Like, and, and I didn't know what was going on, but in that moment, I realized that the weakness of Jesus was repulsive to me. I want a God who conquers his enemies, not a God who dies for his enemies. See, that's what a wrestler would do. Let me come off this cross, right? That's what a wrestler would do. I'll show you who's stabbing me, right? <laughs> Christ didn't die like that. He was a lamb led to the slaughter. And so the first thing, I was repulsed. And I was like, oh. And then I realized, oh, that's a problem. Christ, rep it repulses me? Is it repulsive to me? 
That's a problem. And then I, I, I took myself to the foot of the cross and I said, Jesus, if I'm not the wrestler, then who am I? And many of you have heard this before. He said, you're my loved and forgiven son. And immediately, whoosh, I came right back and said, I know that. I've been preaching that for a decade. And he says, when you're that, nothing else matters. And that moment, I broke. I realized that I didn't really believe that this new self that was gifted to me in Christ was good enough. Thanks, Jesus, for your work on the cross, but your weakness repulses me. I'm going to still be a wrestler. I'm still going to be that aggressive and that domineering. I'm still going to do it. And Christ says, no, 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 no. When you understand who you are, that you're my loved and forgiven son, nothing else matters. And in this moment, my imagination was caught. God, Christ became new to me, became fresh to me, became real to me. My new identity, who I am in him, became real to me. And from that moment on, I've been growing and trying to learn how to live out of this new identity. As my imagination gets captured and gets renewed in the spirit of my mind. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was preaching on this text and he said this, Christianity is not something that you take up intellectually. It's something that takes us up and captivates us, and governs us, and controls us. See, be nice won't capture your imagination. That's why be nice churches die. Be good won't capture your imagination. That's why be good churches die, and good riddance. Be new, this is what captures us. You can be new. There's change to be had. There's a new self that's waiting to be lived out of, and this self is hidden for you in Christ, in God. Now, how can you have your imagination captured like this? As I'm closing, think about Jesus. Jesus calls us to put on our new self, a new self made in the beauty and the likeness of God, a new self that is righteous and holy. And listen, we can only do that because he put on a new self that was made in our likeness. Jesus put on, left heaven, put on our corruption so that we could have his beauty. Jesus put on our sinfulness so that we could have his holiness. He put on our hard heart so that we could have his soft, meek, kind, loving, gracious heart. A heart that burns with a love for God and burns with a love for others. This is how our calluses fall off and our mind is enlightened and we come to know the life of God, Zoe. And this is what it means to put on the new self. You, you have to make a conscious choice to follow Christ. You receive a totally new identity from God and you mature in this identity as your mind gets more and more captivated by Christ. Now, I mentioned earlier that the acorn analogy is not that impressive. You show an acorn to a kid and they're like, cool, right? But what is impressive, I want you to compare. See, what's impressive to us is manufactured 
ideas, manufactured identity. If when I tell you, hey, God's got a new cell for you and it's coming in an acorn, thanks, no thanks. I'd rather go produce one myself. It happens faster. But what you don't realize is acorn, an acorn has the most powerful, life-changing, life-altering power on the planet. And when you take that little thing and you plant it in the ground, it grows roots and it continues. Look, an acorn has biological power in it. When you plant it, it continues to grow. You build a house and it's done. Actually, not even just done. It begins to degrade the moment you're finished. Siding needs repaired. Painting needs repainted, right? Stuff... You, you, I want the manufactured identity. I want the, the perfect life on the outside. That thing is going to take a constant effort on your part to keep up. It's always falling apart. It always needs a new wing added here to impress your neighbors, right? But this acorn identity is an identity that if you get it planted in your soul, it's got biological power that you're from now until eternity, which is forever and ever and ever, if you didn't know that, it will grow. It will continually grow. And many of us, we, if I show you an acorn and I show you a chunk of concrete, which one has more power? Obviously, most of us are going to say this chunk of concrete could just obliterate this acorn. But if you plant that acorn next to your driveway, 30 years later, that concrete, maybe I'm guessing on the timeline, but a lot years in the future, that concrete, busted, moved, heaved, destroyed, needs a complete remodel. Oak tree, still growing. That's the power of biological change that can happen in you when you receive a new identity from Christ. You're 90, you're still growing. Don't buy into this idea at retirement, downward slide from here. No, no, no. You got freedom now, freedom to make disciples, freedom to love others, freedom to give. Hopefully, maybe you're more financially secure. You can give and make disciples and bless the church. Don't buy into this downward slide. In Christ, we're growing into our new self. In heaven, we're still growing. We'll still grow on. And next week, we'll see. You don't do this on your own. You need a new community. That's the next piece of this. You get? You get a new identity. You get a renewed imagination. And we get a new community to practice this new life. Practice growing up out of this acorn self into this new solid self that Christ has given us. We practice that together. And we'll talk about that next week. I pray that you would bring your friends. Let me pray. Father, there's nothing on the planet that has a message so good. You can change us if we would turn to you and put our trust in Jesus Christ. I pray that we would do that this morning. And for those of us who have done that, we... Like the, like the Ephesians, we've put our faith in you in our past and yet we have stagnated or we've been caught up in the culture and we've been calloused and we've been, our, our mind has been darkened again. 
Would you renew us now in the spirit of our minds? Would you help us grow up into this new identity? And out of this new identity will flow new behaviors. Would you let us know who we are in you? Would you help us find our true life that's hidden in God? A life of vitality and exuberance and youthfulness no matter what age we are. Father, I pray that we would all confess our sins to you in turn and put our faith in Jesus Christ who's done this all for us on the cross. And as we come to the Lord's table this morning, for those of us who have already put off and put on, we come and we open up our hands and we ask for the body of Christ and the blood of Christ that reminds us once again that we are new. We're not just nice, we're new. Christ died to make us new. And so I pray this week, Father, we would eat the supper in faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.